ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ ಸೊ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದಿ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷಾನುಭೂತಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಆನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ನೈಂಟಿ ಏಟ್ ಮೈ ಆಡಿಬಿಲ್ ಟು ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ಇಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಟು ಲೌಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಆಲ್ ರೈಟ್ ಓಕೆ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ನೈಂಟಿ ಏಟ್ ಕ್ಷೀಯಂತೆ ಕ್ಷೀಯಂತೆ ಕರ್ಮಿ ತಸ್ಮಿಂದೃಷ್ಟಿ ಪರಾವರೆ ತಸ್ಮಿಂದೃಷ್ಟಿ ಪರಾವರೆ This verse is a, actually it quotes a mantra from the Upanishads directly and one, one of the most important mantras which is often quoted by Shankaracharya in his commentaries on Gita and Upanishads and all. That mantra is from the Mundaka Upanishad. The original mantra goes like this. Bhidyate hridaya granthi chidyante sarva samshaya ಕ್ಷೀಯಂತೆ ಚಾಸ್ಯಕರ್ಮಿ ತಸ್ಮಿಂದೃಷ್ಟೆ ಪರಾವರೆ ವಾಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ದ ರೆಸಲ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ವನ್ಸ್ ಯು ಗೆಟ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಜ್ಞಾನ ವಾಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾಪನ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಕಾನ್ಸಿಕ್ವೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಗೆಟಿಂಗ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಜ್ಞಾನ ಆಫ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ವೆರಿ ಬ್ಯೂಟಿಫುಲ್ ಮಂತ್ರ ದಿ ಒರಿಜಿನಲ್ ಮಂತ್ರ ಇನ್ ದಿ ಮುಂಡಕ ಉಪನಿಷತ್ ಮೀನಿಂಗ್ ಇಸ್ ಫಸ್ಟ್ all the knots of the heart are rent asunder the knots of the heart are cut asunder and that sounds like a painful cardiac procedure <laughs> but it's not something that's done in mount sinai it's it's something that's done by by knowledge by enlightenment knots of the heart does not refer to anything in, in the physical heart it just means ignorance um that the fact that i am brahman i am not this cage of flesh and blood i am this immortal spirit existence consciousness bliss this i am ignorant about and because i am ignorant about this it leads to desire i do not know my infinitude not knowing my infinitude the result is that i chase after things in the world to complete myself i feel incomplete i do not know that i am complete that i am ever complete and so whatever appears to me in the world which is likable i chase after it and whatever is uh, fearsome unpleasant dislikable i run away from it so raga and dvesha attraction and repulsion they are born of this ignorance and from that karma um, work done with desire work done with desire leads to consequences the results of karma and we are right now discussing that the uh, uh, results of karma means you know the three kinds of karma which we have if you remember we had spoken about sanchita karma the accumulated karma that each of us has 
a kind of cosmic debt that we have, good and bad. And then um, prarabdha karma, that part of that accumulated karma which has started giving results in the form of this body and this life. And then again agami karma, which we keep accumulating in this life itself, which is, goes back and gets added to our store, storehouse of karma. And so it goes from birth to birth, life to life, generating new bodies. Uh -huh. So ignorance is at the root. Not knowing our infinite self, not knowing that I am purnam, complete. So that ignorance is destroyed. The first result of enlightenment is ignorance is destroyed. That is called the knot in the heart. K-N-O-T, knot. Vidyate hridaya granthi. The knots of the heart are dissolved or destroyed. Chidyante sarva samshaya. All doubts are dissolved forever. Shankaracharya in his commentary in the original verse, he says, Ganga Shrota Prabhavat, the doubts which assail us about spiritual life throughout our lives, for, for an ordinary person, throughout our life, it never goes away. You may hear the most convincing lectures, you may read the most uh, wonderful, cle wonderfully clever books and be convinced for a while also, again doubts come creeping back. All those are completely gone. The dawn of enlightenment, one sign is doubts have gone forever. You can never doubt it anymore. You, may, you, you, you yourself may try to doubt it, but it, it's so, it's blazing forth in, in, uh, for you all the time. How can you doubt it? So all doubts are gone forever. And the dawn of enlightenment. Then third, Kshiyante Chasya Karmani. All the karmas, more about this later, this is the crucial phrase, all karmas are destroyed forever. When? Upon enlightenment. How is enlightenment described in that mantra? Tasmin Drishte Paravare. Paravara means Brahman. The Brahman, the Supreme Brahman in its transcendent aspect and immanent aspect. Um, immanent aspect means this. Brahman manifesting as this. You might say, I am seeing this, I am experiencing this. Yes, but we experience it as samsara. We don't experience it as Brahman. We don't experience it as God. So, Brahman manifested as this life. When you see that. And Brahman beyond names and forms. Beyond this um, uh, world of names and forms. Beyond Maya. Transcendent. Nirguna, Nirakara. Beyond all of this. When you, when you realize that also, drishte means, literally it means seeing, but Shankaracharya comments in his commentary on this mantra in the Mundakopanishad, seeing means what? He says very clearly, aham asmiyati, I am that Brahman. Beyond this transcending this world, this universe, beyond form, beyond qualities, and which appears as this universe. He says, Karanatmana, Karyatmana, as the transcendent cause of all of this and as the immanent reality in all of this. And all of that, I am. When you realize that, then what happens is that duality is gone forever. Samsara disappears for you. So this is the original verse, original mantra from the Mundaka Upanishad, which is quoted here. The first line of this verse, 
verse number 98 quotes the the second line of that mundakopanishad mantra kshiyante chasya karmani tasmin drishte paravare now what's the relevance here we'll have to put it in the context of what we were discussing remember what were we discussing it's a philosophical issue that shankaracharya has raised the main teaching is over aparokshanubhuti teaching is over now he has raised a philosophical issue about karma after enlightenment does karma the effect of karma does it continue or not traditionally vedanta has said that all your accumulated karmas and karmas to come they are all destroyed but the karma which has which is right now which has started in the form of this life this body that continues that's the standard explanation we have discussed this earlier why do they give this explanation because they have to explain how an enlightened person still continues living if karma generates this body and this life and karmas are destroyed by enlightenment then an enlightened person should die as i said the most unpleasant uh, possibility that the moment you get enlightened you are dead uh, and if you're not dead you're not enlightened in that case so it leads to the strange result that an enlightened person should die immediately one and second also to the very un- unwarranted result implication that all those who are living and teaching are all unenlightened because they are not dead yet so no enlightenment does not mean death but then how why not then they say that it's because one part of karma still continues which part the prarabdha karma the literally prarabdha literally means the well started which is begun to give results um and how do you explain that why isn't that destroyed by by realization they give examples they don't actually give an argument they usually give examples i have given you some of these examples like the arrow which has already been released from the bow of a, of a bowman uh, of the archer the the arrow is speeding other arrows the, the archer may have arrows in his quiver he can put it down he may even have an arrow fixed on the bow but that also he can throw it down but the one he has released he can't do anything about it so the prarabdha karma is like the arrow which has been released it will go on until the end of this body so that's the explanation that's given but as we saw shankaracharya gave a gave a battery of arguments and battered the traditional explanation saying that this is not acceptable all karmas are destroyed and we have seen those arguments so shankaracharya the deeper understanding of advaita is it does not accept that even prarabdha karma continues no karma continues the whole world the samsara of karma and its results all is falsified when you realize brahman now what's the argument here why is he quoting this it's a very clever grammatical argument here the argument here goes like this he says look at the the authoritative quotation from the upanishad the upanishad itself says karmas are destroyed by enlightenment that that mantra it said what did it say knots of the heart are destroyed all doubts are forever destroyed all karmas are destroyed 
Now it says, look at that mantra. It says, karmas are destroyed. Now one might respond, yes, we, by that it means that uh, the Sanchita karma and the Agami karma are destroyed, but Prarabdha continues. It doesn't say specifically that Prarabdha karma is destroyed. And Shankaracharya here says, ah, but it does. Look at the number when it says karma. This is, you know, a little bit of Sanskrit grammar here. Sanskrit is uh, unique among at least the Indian languages because it has a dual number. All of the languages, in general all our modern languages also have singular and plural. But Sanskrit has a singular and a plural, um, a dual and a plural. There is a number for one, there is a number for two and number for many. So between one and many there are two. So when you learn Sanskrit grammar, you have to learn like this. Nara naro naraha. One man, two men, many men. Not one and many. It's one, two and many. Now that comes in very useful here. Shankaracharya says, look at the word, the number used in the word for karma. What does it say? Actually, when you look at the original verse. Kshiyante chasya karmani. Yes. It's a plural number. It, look, how many types of karma are there? Three types. Sanchita, Prarabdha, Agami. Now, if, it, if the, uh, the traditional explanation, if it were true, then it should have said, the, the, uh, the word, kar, it should be karma, karmani, karmani. Karma means one karma. Karmani means two karmas. Karmani means more than two. What is the word used here? Karmani, not karmani. Not two karmas. It says in the, in the plural. Bahutvam. Shankaracharya says, note the number which is used in the word for karma in, in the mantra. The Upanishad clearly says, if it was two of the three, it should have said karmani, not karmani. But what did it say? Karmani, which means more than two. Which means three, basically. Three types of karma. Which means the Upanishad itself is saying all karmas are destroyed. It's not saying that two are destroyed and one remains. So all the karmas are destroyed. Bahutvam. Plural number is used here. Tannishedartham. In order to, to negate the theory that prarabdha karma continues. Shrutyagitam. The Upanishads sing forth this truth. Yatsputam, clearly, unmistakably. So the Upanishads themselves contradict your explanation that Prarabdha Karma continues. Prarabdha Karma does not continue. This is the deeper understanding of um, Advaita. Funnily enough, if you go to the original Mundaka Upanishad mantra, and then if you look at Shankaracharya's commentary, I was just looking at it now, there, Shankaracharya defends the theory of Prarabdha Karma. He says all the karmas are destroyed except the one which has started giving results because we need that to explain how an enlightened person continues and so on and so forth. So that's pretty interesting actually. <laughs> now 99. If you're feeling this topic has gone on long enough, okay, you can, you're sort of beginning to feel, okay, we, we get it, what you're trying to say. <laughs> now move on. It, this is the 
last one in this topic he concludes it here uchyate yagnyir balat chaitat uchyate yagnyir balat chaitat tadanathadvayagamaha tadanathadvayagamaha vedanta matahanamcha vedanta matahanamcha yato gyanam iti shrutihi yato gyanam iti shrutihi he concludes with this slightly mysterious verse he says after all of this if you insist if um, if somebody insists that no prarabdha karma continues then you'll have two two fatal errors in the language of modern you know computer programming the computer sometimes hangs up fatal error so uh fatal error you'll have two fatal errors and the result of that fatal error or those two fatal errors will be the very advaita which you are trying to def- defend will be disastrous for non duality advaita vedanta will collapse advaita matahanam the philosophy of advaita will come crashing down if you insist on upholding that uh, prarabdha karma exists uh, and because the shrutis gave knowledge about non duality so those shrutis should be accepted and they cannot be accepted if you hold on to this idea that prarabdha karma continues even after enlightenment now who would do that he says again the ignorant ones uchyate balat by force by you know they say democracy is the survival of the loudest so if you see the parliament in action sometimes in any there's those who shout la- loudest then to put their their views through and especially if my view is weak i'll shout even louder so he says those by by force if you insist by brute force you insist that no prarabdha karma exists even after enlightenment then you run this risk of two huge errors anarthadvayagama two unfortunate errors will happen will 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 arise what are those two unfortunate errors he doesn't say you quickly turn to and uh, to verse number 100 and he has moved on to the next topic so what do you mean two errors and two errors are of such serious nature he says next vedanta matahanam the whole philosophy of vedanta is going to collapse because of those two errors because of your foolish insistence on holding on to prarabdha karma now luckily vidyarinya swami uh, who wrote panchadashi and other books he has written a nice commentary to this which is very helpful in understanding aparokshanubhuti so immediately i looked up that and wonder of wonders he gives those two errors so the two errors are technically called anirmoksha prasanga and gyana sampradaya vichcheda first is anirmoksha prasanga the 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 result will be that there will be no moksha no liberation no no liberation is possible why i i am i realize i am brahman what is the nature of brahman non dual reality one without a second and i am that i means anyone who realizes i am that so there's no other second reality apart from me very good 
And the very next thing that you next tell me is that, yeah, wait, wait a minute, there is a second reality. It's called Prarabdha Karma. Prarabdha Karma continues. So after enlightenment, if Prarabdha Karma continues, if there is duality, I'm still under karma. Where is moksha? Where is moksha? You might say, yeah, until Prarabdha Karma continues and until the death of the body. And after that, of course, you've got moksha. In that case, my enlightenment did not give me moksha at that particular time. That means I have to wait till the death of this body to be really, really free. Now I'm a little bit free, but then I'll be really, really, really free. That, that is not acceptable to Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta holds that really the, the fruit of realization of, of enlightenment is Jivan Mukti. Free while living. Now you are saying you are not, you're free while living, not really. You're almost there, but not quite. And you have to wait for the death of the body to be truly free. Now that can't be right. Then that's not the uh, moksha, liberation promised by non-duality. So you run that big risk. Even worse, even worse. Jnana Sampradaya Vicheda. The whole, um, the, the whole um, philosophy on which Advaita Vedanta is based, that gets, that is torn apart if, if, you, if you do that. Why? The idea is that knowledge frees you. How do you get free? I realize I am Brahman, I get the knowledge that I am Brahman, and that frees me. Now think about it. What can knowledge do? What can knowledge do? Knowledge can only take away ignorance, and by implication it can take away the effects of ignorance. For example, the classic example of somebody who sees a snake by mistake. It's a rope, but somebody by mistake sees a snake. Now, what is the cause of seeing the snake? The ignorance that it's a rope. I don't know it's a rope, and therefore the possibility exists of my making a mistake. If I knew it was a rope, I wouldn't make that mistake. I make that mistake only because I, I, I don't know for the time being that it's a rope. It can appear as something else. It could appear as a snake or something else to me. So two things have happened there. One is, I don't know it's a rope, ignorance. And second is, I see a snake, mistake, error. So two things, ignorance and its product, error. And when knowledge comes, oh, it's a rope. So the first thing is removed, ignorance about it, that I thought it, I didn't know what it was really. I now know what it is. Ignorance about the rope is removed, one, by the knowledge that it's a rope. But also one more thing happens, the idea that it's a snake, the error that it's a snake, that is also removed. Error is also removed. So knowledge does two things. It removes ignorance and it removes the products of ignorance. Error. The product of ignorance is always error. Some kind of error. So ignorance and error. They say ajnana, ignorance, and error is superimposition. Or branti or adhyasa, both are removed. In technical uh, Sanskrit, Ajnana and Bhranti, or you can say Adhyasa, both are removed by knowledge. 
But what, what is it that knowledge cannot remove? If, yeah, knowledge cannot remove the truth. If there is something real, for example, if there's a real snake and you see a snake, and the moon, if you keep thinking, I'll, I, it's a rope, it's a rope, and I'm trying to see it as a rope, will it remove the snake? No, the snake's going to come and bite you. <laughs> it will not remove the snake if it's a real snake. So knowledge cannot remove something which is real. It will only reveal that which is real. It will remove the snake because the snake is unreal. Are you following me? That which is unreal and produced by ignorance, that is removed by knowledge. But the real rope will not be removed by knowledge. Rather, knowledge will reveal what is real. Knowledge is about the real. It destroys the unreal. And it gives you what is real. It shows you what is real. In fact, they have a very nice saying in the Himalayas among the monks there. What does enlightenment give you actually? What does it give you and what does it take away? It say, the, the saying is, Praptasya prapti nivrittasya nivritti. It gives you what you already had. What you already have, it gives you that. And what was never there, that's removed. So you might say, big deal. <laughs> the snake was never there. The false snake. It was never there, really. Even when you saw it, it was not there. But it's removed by, by, by knowledge. And the rope was always there. It was always at hand. That's what is presented by knowledge. You are Brahman. That's what knowledge reveals to you. The world was never an independent reality apart from you. You were never a body and mind. This world of appearance, the body and mind which appears in Brahman. It was never an independent separate reality as we think it is right now. That error is removed. That it's, this is real apart from me. I am a real body and mind experiencing this. No. So this illusion is removed. And it is a big deal. It is a big deal because this illusion is the cause of our suffering. So what? How does it ap uh, apply to the present case? What happens is, if you say, alright, knowledge removes what is unreal, but what is real, of course, knowledge cannot remove. It can only reveal it. After getting knowledge, I am Brahman. Remember, knowledge here always means I am Brahman, that realization, enlightenment. You realize I am Brahman and the consequence is, you get moksha, liberation, Brahman, but there's one thing that remains over, which is prarabdha karma. That still remains. If that remains, if something remains after knowledge, then that thing must be real or false? Real. If it still remains after knowledge, it must be real. If it's false, then it, it, it cannot remain after knowledge will come and remove the false. It will remove ignorance and it will remove the false, bhranti. But if it remains, here's a joke which works only in Hindi, but it just won't work in, uh, in English, but I'll still tell you because it just came to me. Um, it's real. <laughs> it, I was in the Himalayas at that time and um, we used to go for food to a particular ashram where they would serve the monks, the swamis. And we, so I would meet all sorts of very interesting characters. Uh, there was this Swami who would, who had no positions in the world except a bowl, begging bowl. 
which he would put on his head like a helmet and put his turban around it. And when it come for, time would come for food, he'd untie the turban, take the bowl out and <laughs> present it for food. And they used to call him Antenna Baba. The, the Swami with an antenna. Antenna means not this kind of antenna, but a dish antenna. Like it's a dish. So you, you get the joke. So it's a dish. It's literally a dish. Um, but not, this, is not, this one is not about the antenna power. It's about another Swami who sat next to me. And I, we would exchange pleasantries. So they would ask your name. And there's an, you have to give your full formal name. Like my name would be Swami Sarvapriyananda Puri. So I asked this Swami once, what's your name? And he said, Brahmdev. I said, this works only in Hindi. Brahmdev. Literally it means the Lord of Error. <laughs> or the God of Error, <laughs> Brahmdev. I said, you mean Brahmadev. That's what he actually means. It's a pronunciation error. So <laughs> Brahmadev means Brahman who is the Lord. Not Error. You, you can't have error in your name. Uh, he said, I said, Brahmadev, uh, uh, He said, Brahmadev. And he said, Ah, Vahi, Brahmadev. He couldn't catch the difference between Brahma and Brahma. Brahma means error. Brahma means the infinite, the absolute. So the name of a Swami should have Brahma in, in it, not Brahma in it. Uh, huh? It sounds alike. Brahma means error. Brahma means Brahman, the absolute. Brahma means error. So his name definitely, I'm quite sure. Unless his, unless his guru was particularly cruel, <laughs> he named him. Well, they have, they have some, some of them have funny names. Um, I met this Naga Sanyasi, who they are either they go around naked or they are almost or sometimes uh, almost naked. So this Swami, I met him uh, again in, in Gangotri in a particular ashram. We sat down for food and he was sitting next to me. And um, he was with his dreadlocks and his, just a loincloth. It was cold. And I asked him his name and he was a hot-tempered Swami. Rough and a very, a very tough kind of man. Sometimes these nagas are, they are like the the cops, the policemen of the the, the Swami um, society. You know, <laughs> yeah. Actually, that that's their job. They're supposed to look at maintain discipline there. So this Swami was sitting next to me, sharp-tongued and a harsh, big man, powerfully built. So I asked him his name, and he wouldn't believe it. He said. Shitalanandagiri. <laughs> now, it's only the, the, most Indians would get the joke in it. Shitalananda literally translates, Shitala means cool, calm. It literally means cold. <laughs> it, it means which is very calm and cool and, uh, and cooling and quiet. The one who takes his bliss in being calm and cool and quiet. Just the opposite of what he was. <laughs> I think his guru must have named him that on purpose. <laughs> All right. So after enlightenment, prarabdha karma still persists as a real entity, then you are in trouble. 
what does it mean it means first of all prarabdha karma is real if prarabdha karma is real then samsara also can be real and jnana knowledge did not remove it if jnana cannot remove knowledge cannot remove it then duality is true because after all knowledge revealed to you that you are brahman plus that that apart from you there is a real thing called prarabdha karma which continues so there are two duality if knowledge cannot liberate you if knowledge cannot remove the world appearance then knowledge is useless if it's a real prarabdha karma it cannot be removed by knowledge because knowledge can remove that which is not and it can give you that which already exists if it did not remove prarabdha karma then prarabdha karma is real it still exists then knowledge is useless if knowledge is useless then all this aparoksha anubhuti upanishads and all of them are useless because what do they give you they give you knowledge then knowledge cannot liberate you if there's something real to remove a real snake no no knowledge is going to help you it's going to you have to go and do something call a snake catcher or drive away the snake or do something so action will help you there but not knowledge so um it's like a tiger is chasing you and somebody tells you it's a dream wake up and you suddenly wake up sitting on your bed when you wake up from a dream all the troubles of the dream are removed immediately the whole dream world is removed immediately because it was not there it was imagined in your mind when you wake up from it snap out of it it's all removed if enlightenment is like that then knowledge will work you realize you are brahman you snap out of it all the troubles go away remember go away means by now we are mature students of aparoksha anubhuti so we should say go away means it's not that everything disappears in a flash not that your life and now you live in a haze of light or something like that no this world appearance will continue but it will be a, then you can honestly say it's a world appearance right now it's difficult to say it's a world appearance it's very real but if it continues even after waking up if a real tiger is chasing you no amount of saying wake up wake up will <laughs> help you you better climb a tree then in the same way if prarabdha karma continues then knowledge does not help if knowledge does not help then the whole thing it's called gyana gyana parampara gyana sampradaya this whole thing of upanishads giving you knowledge about yourself the teacher giving you knowledge that will liberate you the whole thing falls apart that's what he says vedanta matahanam the whole conclusion of vedanta falls apart the brahma sutras which are the philosophical discussions of the teachings of the upanishads they are in the form of sutras in fact when you say vedanta and if you ask what are the texts of vedanta the primary texts are the upanishads based on the upanishads there is the bhagavad gita which is most well known but there is a third text the brahma sutras the sutras about brahman sutras are aphorisms sutras about brahman which is also uh, which is in fact the central text of advaita vedanta as a philosophy so these three texts the set of upanishads the bhagavad gita and the brahma sutras all taken together they are called prasthanatraya the triple foundation of vedanta of advaita vedanta of vedanta in fact now in the brahma sutras which i have not referred to often but 
In the Brahma Sutras, the first aphorism is Atato Brahma Jigyasa, hence therefore an inquiry into Brahman. An inquiry into Brahman. What does it mean? We are not going to discuss the sutra. The reason I brought up the sutra is this. Look at how it begins. An inquiry into Brahman. What does an inquiry do? An inquiry. What's the result of an inquiry? An inquiry into anything. What does it do? It, it reveals. It gives you knowledge. You would like to know something. That's why you inquire. An inquiry commission. What's it supposed to produce? Knowledge. The truth. Now, an inquiry into Brahman. It's very interesting. The Brahma Sutra does not start with Hence, therefore, worship of Brahman. Hence, therefore, singing the names of Brahman. Hence, therefore, meditating on Brahman. No. It starts with, hence, therefore, an inquiry into Brahman. Meaning thereby, that an inquiry will give you knowledge about Brahman, and knowledge about Brahman will liberate you. The knowledge that, what kind of knowledge will it be? I am Brahman. That will liberate you. So, knowledge liberates this is the central pivot, axiom of Advaita Vedanta. Knowledge liberates, not anything else. Everything else, worship and ritual and singing and, and service, good deeds, all of them, meditation, all of them are welcome if they culminate in knowledge. And knowledge does not depend, knowledge does not depend on anything else to give you liberation. Knowledge straight away gives you liberation. All other things finally culminate in knowledge and knowledge gives you liberation. So this is the conclusion of Advaita Vedanta and you have lost it. What is the word they use in America? You have dropped the ball? Yeah. You have dropped the ball. Knowledge does not give you liberation if there is Prarabdha Karma continuing as a real entity merrily along with Brahman. So this is the second fault Anarthadvaya, two great unfortunate faults will come, uh, fatal errors will come, resulting in the collapse of Vedanta, Vedanta Matahanam. This topic is finished. Prarabdha Karma. Remember, just as, an, um, as a note here, the traditional explanation of Prarabdha Karma is not wrong. That Prarabdha Karma continues, that's not wrong. That's given as a kind of temporary explanation for unenlightened people. You see, after enlightenment, that person knows, enlightened person knows himself or herself not as an enlightened person. As Brahman, I am Satchidananda, not an enlightened person who knows Brahman. But we, on the other hand, we see the enlightened say, sage and say he or she is, is enlightened. And we require an explanation how that person continues in the body. And for us, this explanation of Prarabdha Karma truly works. And that's why all throughout Vedanta texts you will find the traditional explanation of Prarabdha Karma. But here Shankaracharya takes the liberty of setting things, setting the record straight. Now, verse 100 onwards, almost till the very end, 100 onwards. Vedantic meditation is prescribed. Let's start. Verse 100. Tripanchanganyato vakshe 
ಶ್ರೀಪಂಚಾಂಗಾನ್ಯಥೋ ವಕ್ಷೆ ಪೂರ್ವೋಕ್ತ ಪೂರ್ವೋಕ್ತ ನಾವು ಐ ವಿಲ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ಅಟೈನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದಟ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ದಟ್ ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಲಿಬರೇಷನ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪ್ಲೇನ್ ಟು ಯು ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ವೇದಾಂತಿಕ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ and this vedantic meditation will be in 15 parts you can say 15 steps or 15 parts and this all of the, you should assiduously consistently practice them for a long time in order to get liberation so this vedantic meditation has to be done seriously consistently for a long period of time in order to get liberation and this vedantic meditation i'm going to talk about it now it has got 15 steps or parts 15 practices you can say 15 practices before we launch into that remember once again it's good to good to see what vedanta consists of shravana manana niridhyasana shravana literally means hearing but practically what it means is not just listening but systematically studying vedanta so here is this text aparokshanubhuti study it systematically with a teacher that's hearing step 1 step 2 is manana think about it reason about it till all your doubts are resolved step 3 what you have reasoned about and your doubts are resolved you've got clarity now you meditate upon it why in order to assimilate it make it a living reality if you take a closer look at what's happening in the first stage shravana which is listening receiving the teachings one should be able to say i know what the text says i know what the teaching is you might say that's simple enough but it's not you'll be surprised at how many people leave the class and thinking that i've learned something and if you really ask them what have you learned what did, what what did it say um i'm not very sure something about brahman or something like that <laughs> there's a funny story about swami ranganathan and he's giving talks in delhi he used to himself say when i think many many years ago decades ago you know he was the 13th president of our order he's giving talks about vedanta and after he came out all the the audience was flowing out he was a very popular speaker there were large numbers of people coming to hear him and so this lady came out and said bahut badhiya was swami it's, it's a wonderful talk swami and said what did you like swami asked innocently shouldn't have asked but he he asked what did you like and this lady said wo hum kya jane badi badi vedant ki baat what do i know these are all big, big vedantic talks <laughs> i don't know something you said something but whatever you said it was good <laughs> that should not happen you must at least know what the book said what was said in the class i don't insist on you knowing it verbatim by rote by memory the traditional teachers they insist on the students on knowing the text first you memorize it i i studied at least under one teacher who would uh, give uh, who would make us repeat the text for um several classes just the whole class was spent in chanting the text and then 
um, then he would start explaining it. In fact, a good way of memorizing it, an easy way of memorizing, instead of telling you to memorize it, easy way of memorizing is to chant it again and again and again till it becomes like a tune in your head. And like this jingles you can't get rid of, so in a, but in a good way. So it, it's there in your mind. Um, and other teachers are there who would just literally insist, first you memorize the text, then I'm only I'm going to teach you. You have to recite the whole text. I remember once I was having an argument with a monk in the Himalayas, a traditional monk who used to stay there, about the philosophy of Nyaya. So there's a text, introductory text called Tarka Sangra, which is an introductory text of Nyaya. Actually Nyaya Vaisheshika, both of them. I was arguing one point, and you know, we were walking in the forest there, and this Swami recited the entire section. Remember, it's not even a Vedanta text. So you wouldn't expect a Vedanta Swami to memorize it. I said, Swami, have you got it by memory? He said, yes. I remember, I mean the whole text. Not a very big text, but not an important text either. So you wouldn't expect him to memorize it. He said, yes. And then he said, this is how you study, right? You don't study from books. <laughs> so that was the original idea. Everybody should know what the text is. So I'm not insisting on that. I think three-fourths of the class would disappear if, if I insisted on you memorizing the text. So, but definitely we should ask oneself, what does step one, what did the text actually say? And you, you might be unpleasantly surprised to see that I don't remember what the text said. Uh, as, a, as a funny aside, once uh, one of our teachers when we were novices, he was a Sanskrit grammar teacher. So this Swami, he said, I've been teaching you for quite a while and uh, you all keep nodding, you know, when I ask you, do you understand? You all say, yes. Let me, let me, let's have an exam. And we said, oh, no, 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 Swami, no, no exam. He said, why ever not? Oh, it's for you. You will feel so hurt after the exam. <laughs> <laughs> You'll feel so demotivated after the exam when you, when you see the horrible truth of what's been going, going on here. So the first step is, I should be able to claim that, yeah, it's okay that I don't understand it, but I should be able to say, this is what the book says. I don't get it. I'm not convinced. I have my doubts, but this is what the book says. Then step one is complete. Step two, I have many doubts. So ask the questions to yourself, read from the books or ask the teacher and argue it out till you get a kind of clarity. So at the end of step two, you should be able to say, I not only know what the book says, now I understand it. Now I get it. I'm convinced. If that's so, then what remains? What's the problem? Now the problem is that I'm convinced, but it doesn't change my life. After all, what did Vedanta promise? Cessation of miseries, attainment of bliss. My miseries have not ceased. Maybe a little more misery now. Uh, why? Because all the worldly miseries remain as they are, plus one more misery of having studied Vedanta to no avail. It has come. <laughs> I have studied Vedanta, but it doesn't do me any good. Uh, the misery of not being enlightened has come. Plus, uh, why am I not enlightened? At least people who don't try Vedanta, they don't have that problem. Now I have an extra problem. So, then comes the question of meditation. What you have, you know the text, now you are convinced about it, you say, meditate upon it. 
intensely dwell upon it. You, somebody used the term marinate in it. When you cook, you know, you put something, after you have done everything, you, then you put a lid on it and let it stew in its own juices there. Then it absorbs. In the same way, there must be a process of marinating in this Vedantic truth. So that's the role of meditation. At the end of meditation, the third stage is complete when you can say, I not only know what the book says, I not only understand it, but I can honestly claim it's the truth. I can honestly claim my problems are at an end. I say that one problem of, one disadvantage of being enlightened is you can no longer grumble. You can no longer complain after being enlightened. You can't, com you can't claim enlightenment and also complain at the same time. You lose the right. Alright. So now we have meditation. And he says, I'll give you 15, 15 practices. Three panchangan. Three sets of five. Three into five. Basically it's not three sets of five, it's 15. One to 15. By the way, Vidyaranya helpfully in his commentary on these verses, he helpfully adds here, these are meant for the lower grade of students. The, supi the, superior, the superior student should have been enlightened by now. <laughs> he says, the actual teaching has been given. If you have followed it carefully, you, the superior student would have made the breakthrough and should be... Meditate, you should be like, why? Now, these 15 practices are for the rest of us who are not maybe in the Ivy League of Vedanta students. <laughs> yeah, you have a question? Yeah. Um, technically, if it's the absolute truth, yeah. if someone just meditates really, really well hmm. without reading the text, is it possible for them to come to the exact same conclusion independently? Meditates on what? Maybe, but then it's like reinventing the wheel. See, my thing is, do I want to meditate independently or do I want enlightenment? If my primary thing is enlightenment, then I'll take whatever help is available to me. Right? Do I want to get to the airport or do I want to get to the airport by Uber? Right? So if I want to get to the airport by Uber, I'll give up every other mode of transport. The, the shuttle or the bus or uh, 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 the yellow cab or whatever. And I want only the Uber. Now that's a strange insistence. I'm ready to miss the flight, but I want the Uber to go to, go to the airport. Now that's a strange thing to say. Your whole aim is to go to the airport to catch the flight. So whatever mode of transport is easiest and most convenient, you will take avail yourself of that. So here is the book, here are the teachings, here is the technique. Why wouldn't you follow it? But your question is general, many people ask that. Is it possible to come to it? In principle, yes. It's as simple as asking, do, in order to learn to understand E is equal to MC squared, do I have to really go to school and to Columbia and learn and enroll in the physics course there? No, you don't. But if you want to invent everything from the beginning, be Einstein the second, you can do it in principle, but it's enormously difficult. And why at all would you want to do that? Right? Can we say that, well, the two I think we can say, 
people that are not of our tradition there also can be enlightened by different methods that we use to get to the enlightenment. Absolutely true. The question he asked was, he's, put, he's actually rephrasing your question in another way. Uh, he's saying that, let's put it this way, the people who are not of this tradition, you know, that non-dual reality and the teaching is there, teaching gives you knowledge, knowledge removes error. This, all of this presupposes a particular philosophy, right? A philosophy of Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta. But those who do not belong to this tradition, they have other approaches, other techniques. Will it lead to enlightenment? Of course. That was the whole thrust of Sri Ramakrishna's teaching. You can approach it through bhakti. If you go to the teacher in Vishishta Advaita, or Dvaita philosophy, or Achintya Bhedavid, which is taught by the uh, Iskon Swamis, you know. they will stress bhakti above knowledge. Bhakti is what's going to give you liberation. So will it give you liberation or not? It will. That's open. But this particular framework, here it is knowledge which gives you liberation. Now that's, I'll qualify this. I am saying it as part of the Ramakrishna Vivekananda tradition, where we hold on to Vedanta, but not in an exclusive sense. If you go to a strict non-dualist, a strict non-dualist, by which I mean who strictly follows Shankara Vedanta without compromise, then that person will say no. All other methods are good, all are admitted, Shankara admitted everything, Bhakti is good, Karma Yoga is good, meditation is good, all of them are good, provided they ultimately bring you to knowledge. And it's knowledge of Brahman which will liberate. And they have, it's, it's not being fanatical because they, their logic is watertight. If the problem is ignorance, the solution can only be knowledge. Yes. Very briefly. <laughs> okay, the question here is a very big one. But I'll explain very briefly. Um, how would you compare... Advaita, explain Advaita versus Vishishta Advaita, Achinta Bheda Veda. Yes. The core teaching of Advaita Vedanta is Tattva Masi, that thou art. You are Brahman. Brahman is the only, what is Brahman? The only reality. The world is an appearance and you are none other than Brahman. You realize that, you are free. It works logically. Brahman is free. Brahman is infinite. Absolute. So if you realize yourself as the infinite, as absolute, then you are free automatically. Vishishtadvaita says, no, no, you are not Brahman. You, the individual being, you are a part of Brahman. Advaita says, identity. You and Brahman are exactly the same. You're not a part of Brahman. If you knew yourself as you truly are, you would say, Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. Existence, consciousness, bliss. In Advaita it means, you are Brahman and Brahman is you. There is no other God except the real you. And you are none other than God itself. So in that sense it's an identity statement. Vishishtadvaita says, you are part of Brahman. Brahman is the whole, all of this. And you are a tiny part of Brahman. Brahman is qualified by sentient beings and the insentient universe. Chit, Achit. Vishishta Brahman, literally Brahman qualified by sentient beings, us, and the insentient universe, all of this. So it's a part-whole relationship. And the world is real. In Advaita the world is an appearance. Brahman alone is real. 
Dvaita Vedanta says, not a part and whole. We are different. Brahman is the independent soul, independent reality. We are all dependent on Brahman. The relationship is a bit like the king and its, his subjects. The ruler and the ruled. In fact, the relationship there is um, uh, the Lord and servant. Like that. Achintya Bheda Bhed is a very interesting philosophy. It's also Vedanta. Um, it is the core philosophy of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Bengal school of Vaishnavism, where it is inconceivable difference in inconceivable duality in non-duality or inconceivable difference in identity. Achintya Bheda Abheda. You see, what they have done is the relationship between Brahman, in that case Sri Krishna, so in, in Achintya Bhedavid, the ultimate reality is not an impersonal absolute, but the personal God Krishna, Sri Krishna. The relationship between Sri Krishna and his powers is inconceivable. I'll repeat that. The relationship between Sri Krishna and his powers is inconceivable. Between Brahman and Shakti, the relationship is inconceivable. Inconceivable in what sense? Are they one and the same? Yes. Are they different? Yes. Both. Identity and different. Inconceivable identity in difference. So what, 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 what's the result then? Is this world identical to Brahman? Yes. And is it different from Brahman? Yes. That's also true. World real? Yes. The reality of the world is maintained. In Advaita Vedanta, the world has to be false. There's a, real, there's a reason for that. So these, this is basically, and it practically what, what difference does it make? In Advaita Vedanta, the way out is knowledge. What knowledge? I am Brahman. But in Vishishta Advaita, Dvaita, Achintya Veda, all of these, the way out is bhakti, devotion. Thing to be practiced is devotion. Love of God. Please complete. Yeah. Yes. No. As you said, so is Sri Ramakrishna, would he be strict Advaitist in this sense? Strict in the sense of exclusive. No. He was not as exclusive this ist or that ist. He was sort of all ist. He would say that Joto Mat Totopat. As many paths or as many faiths, so many paths to God. All of them are true. You might say, how can all of them be true? They are all true from their particular perspective. One, one point. Second point is that God is infinite. You can't just say God is the absolute and can be approached only through knowledge. You can't just say God is the personal only and can be approached only through devotion. God has infinite aspects and dimensions. And so the paths to God are also infinite. That stands to reason actually. And third, a practical reason, all of these paths, whether Achintya Bheda Veda or Advaita or Vishishta Advaita, Advaita, whatever their exclusivist followers may want to say, all of these paths have produced the most extraordinary saints and holy people. To say that they are wrong is a little uh, narrow. You know, so he would say, whichever path you take up, you will reach the goal. 
All of these paths bring you to the goal. There is truth in all of these paths. And they are all valid. They take you to the truth. Not only all the Hindu paths, but all, he said, Christian. He practiced Christian mysticism. He practiced Islamic mysticism. All paths in the religions, different religions, the major religions of the world, they are all true. They take you to the truth. Somebody said the Buddha, the Buddha was an, an atheist. He said, why an atheist? Nastic. Why do you say that? He re reached that truth which could not be expressed in words. All right. So we'll, yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. What I'm saying is there are exclusivist teachers who will maintain no. Advaita alone is, is uh, the right way. And they, I have to admit, uh, though I will not be in their camp, but I appreciate their logic. If you, if you beset me with a skeptical, logical approach, then I'll always take refuge in strict Advaita. All right. Can the prarabdha karma from a common sense point of view um, be changed by doing self-effort or by devotion or by knowledge? I wouldn't say the prarabdha karma will be changed, but the karma is certainly affected because def you could see it logically. The question is, can, it, can karma be changed? Certainly. The Holy Mother said, if you have devotion to God and you do spiritual practices, then the effect of bad karma is drastically reduced. The example she used was where a leg would have been cut off, you get a pinprick. So that's more incentive to do spiritual practice. <laughs> now, 101. Nitya bhyasa drite praptir. Nitya bhyasa drite praptir. Nabhavet Satchidatmanaham Nabhavet Satchidatmanaham Tasmat Brahmani Didhyaset Tasmat Brahmani Didhyaset Jigyasu Shreya Sechiram Jigyasu Shreya Sechiram Satchidananda, the Atman, that means yourself which is absolute existence, absolute knowledge, it cannot be realized without continuous systematic meditation. Therefore, meditate on, on Brahman for intensely, for a long period of time, the spiritual seeker, Jigyasu means, look at the word used here, inquirer, the spiritual inquirer, inquirer after knowledge. The inquirer after knowledge should Continuously practice these 15 practices for a long period of time, seriously. Stay with it for realizing Brahman. See, an understanding of Brahman may come. Swami Vivekananda writes that in the path of knowledge, many people come to an intellectual appreciation of the truth. It's not difficult. Stay with it for some time, listen to it again and again. It will begin to make sense. It's fascinating. It's very interesting and begins to make sense. Especially in our modern world of uh, you know, where we have a rational, skeptical approach to, thing, uh, to things, this makes a lot of sense. Whereas I have seen it everywhere. People who are, um, recently I was, I mean, in fact, just until a couple of hours ago, I, I was in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bahamas in an ashram where there were 300 people from different parts of the world. And many of them had not, did not have direct access to this, these teachings, 
They were there for a yoga retreat. But I got the most remarkable feedback from many, many of them. They all said, it just the first time we are hearing this, it re resonates so well with us. Imagine, I was teaching another text, something written seven or eight hundred years ago in India, in the south of India, eight hundred years ago, Drigrishya Viveka. And uh, somebody from Israel, somebody from Belgium, somebody from Canada, and they, they are saying that, this is remarkable, where can I get this book? How does it resonate with them? How does it resonate with them? If I were to talk about one particular deity and say we have to believe in this, that the people would say, well, we have to, you can take it or leave it. But this appeals directly to you because it's talking about you, your inner reality. What are the 15 parts, 15 practices? I just, there's a list in verses 102 and 103. There's a list of these 15 practices. We'll chant that and end today. Yamo hi niyamastyago Yamo hi niyamastyago Maunam deshascha kalatam Maunam deshascha kalatam Asanam mulabandhascha Asanam mulabandhascha Deha samyam jadrikstitihi Deha samyam jadrikstitihi Prana sanyamanam chaiva Prana sanyamanam chaiva Pratyaharascha dharana Pratyaharascha dharana Atma dhyanam samadhishcha Atma dhyanam samadhishcha Proktanangani vaikramat, Proktanangani vaikramat. Kramat means in sequence. Here are the 15 practices Yama, Niyama, Tyaga, Maunam, Desha, Kala, Asanam, Mulabandha, Dehasamyam, Drikstitihi, Pranasangyamanam, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. These are the 15 practices. Now those who have studied yoga philosophy, the practice of yoga, will immediately identify these three. Yeah, we have read about this. You know? Um, but Shankaracharya has a surprise, or at least, let's say, 15 surprises up his sleeve. He is doing something very interesting here. He is using, he has taken the terms from yoga. From Raja Yoga, Patanjali Yoga, from Hatha Yoga. He has taken the terms. And he explains the meaning. But he gives it a completely new twist. Each of these 15 practices. The terms are familiar, but what he means by them is radically different. Now, one has to be, one has to keep this in mind, be cautious about it. Sometimes he seems to be making fun of the practices. So for example, pranayama, you know the breathing practices that is done in, um, in yoga? 
you breathe in through the left nostril and you close the right one and hold it and release it through the right nostril. There's a count of, you know, 4, 16, 8, there's a ratio and you count it and then breathe it through the right one, hold it, leave through the left nostril like this. There's a, there are techniques of holding the nose and releasing the air and everything. That's pranayama. Um, there's a whole science of control of the breath. And why, why is that important? Remember, it's one of the steps in Ashtanga Yoga, the eight-limbed yoga of Patanjali. The names are exactly the same. Here there are 15, there there are eight. All the eight are taken here, plus Shankaracharya adds seven more. They are also, the ones he adds, they are also taken from yoga, from different branches of yoga. So you have Yama, the moral restraints, Niyama, the moral practices, uh, then uh, Asana, sitting. First thing you need, you need to know how to sit, yes you do. <laughs> then uh, the fourth one is breathing. Now I need to know how to breathe, yes you do. Uh, breathing. There's a whole science of breathing, pranayama. Then um, there is um, uh, pratyahara, withdrawing from the external world. Then dharana, maintaining your focus on something. Then dhyana, the seventh step is dhyana meditation. And the eighth stage is samadhi, deepest absorption meditation, the final absorption meditation. And they are all eight limbs of uh, the highest samadhi, which is um, what is called in our Patanjali Yoga, Asampragyata Samadhi. To reach that highest Samadhi, these are the eight limbs. In fact, the, seven, the eighth limb, Samadhi, here is the lower Samadhi, Sampragyata Samadhi. So all of these eight are necessary for reaching the highest Samadhi. Now the fourth practice is Pranayama, breathing in and out. And Shankaracharya, you will see, he says, you know what is Pranayama? Pranayama is when you breathe out, you realize, you, you, you stabilize in the realization that the world is false. When you breathe in, the awareness is Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Holding the breath, stabilizing your, that knowledge, I am Brahman. That is real pranayama. Then what about all this we were taught? He says, that's just torture of the nose. <laughs> You're torturing your nose, doing this and that. Now, he does that numerous times throughout this next few verses. He is not making fun of uh, Patanjali Yoga. Don't make that mistake. In fact, towards the end, he will say all those practices are welcome and they are very, very useful. They are all very useful. But he is showing you the higher practice. He is showing you the higher practice. He says, this is the real Raja Yoga. He will use, use the name Raja Yoga at the end. This is the real royal yoga. So what we need to know is, what is the original practice, the basic practice, and we can all benefit from that. I, I assure you, we can all benefit from that. And the higher practice which Shankaracharya points to. We should know both. So that's what we will do. We will study the original meaning, what are the meanings in the, in the context in which the terms appear, and how to practice that, and the actual higher practice pointed out by Shankaracharya. And we will dwell on Shankara's humor. Once in a while he will talk. <laughs> he will uh, poke fun at the yogis. But we'll, we must take it in proper context. Not to feel superior. Oh, I am a non-dualist. Uh, and I know your, your, all your yoga is childishness. No, it is not. Those are very sophisticated bodies of knowledge. 
and they are very very useful and as you shall we shall see those one the basic practices are the ones which are directly useful to us right now and the higher practices of course are wonderful but we'll see both in the next few classes to come om shanti 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 hari om tat sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu